Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Several years ago, I came across a news headline that caught my eye. It read, Parents strike to protest messy kids. It was published by the Associated Press in Deltona, Florida, and the news story said this, Enough, even, excuse me, even though the dishes and the garbage and dirty laundry were piling up, homeowners, Kat and Harlan Bernard, were getting no help from their children. And after begging and pleading with their 17-year-old son and 12-year-old daughter to help around the house, the Bernards decided they were fed up. So mom and dad went on strike, and they moved out to the front yard. This was our last-ditch effort, Mother Cat Bernard told the reporter. Since Monday morning, and this was published at the end of the week, Uh, The Bernards had lived in a tent in their front yard, going inside the house only to use the restroom or to shower. The couple sits on their front lawn in chairs, roasting marshmallows over a hibachi grill. Their children were confused on the first day, Monday, when they came home from school. A 17-year-old son, Ben, is quoted as saying, It's extremely inconvenient. I mean, like every time the phone rings we have to run outside and give it to them. Now, whether the couple's actions could be regarded as abandonment depends on how much guidance the parents are still providing. And so the reporter contacted uh, the Department of Children and Family Services in Florida and inquired about this. He received a statement from spokeswoman Carrie Hopner, who said that if the children are not suffering as a result, then what the Bernards are doing is probably fine. But Kat Bernard says the strike may already be paying dividends. She noticed on Tuesday that her daughter washed her own clothes for the first time. This is war, Mom said. I love my babies, but I don't like what we're doing. Well, raising children is, without a doubt, one of the most humbling experiences on earth. And if every parent were honest, I think we would admit that there are days in which we simply feel like going on strike. The responsibilities can be overwhelming, the work can be frustrating, and the stress exhausting. But thankfully, God's Word contains helpful and encouraging counsel so that Christian parents do not have to go on strike. We're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians uh, today called Chosen. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and to pull out the sermon notes you received when you came in this morning so that you can record what the Lord is teaching you through this message. Extra sermon notes can be found on the welcome table uh, in the center aisle in the back of the room. And if you need to borrow a Bible, there are extra Bibles back at the information table by, uh, to my left, your right. 
We want you to be able to follow along, so if you need to grab any of those things, now would be the time to do it. Now, as you turn there, allow me to just kind of bring you up to speed on the context of the, the four verses we'll be looking at today. Uh, we've been learning uh, in our study of Ephesians that a very important hinge, or I sometimes might call it a pivot verse, is in chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 18 is arguably the second most important verse in the entire book because it provides the power needed to live the holy lives that God's commanded us to live in chapter 4, and it provides the power that we need for Christ-glorifying relationships throughout the rest of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. Now, over the past couple of weeks, Paul has called on wives to follow their husbands, husbands to lead their wives, and now he turns his pen to the relationship between parents and children. We can encapsulate his counsel today uh, with this big idea. It's simply, the Christian home should be a factory that builds future disciples. The Christian home should be a factory that builds future disciples. In addition to the spirit-filled living theme that runs through chapter 5, verse 18, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, there is a second thread the apostle is weaving throughout these verses, and that is, the thread or theme of submission. To put it simply, Paul is doing his very best to help all of us see that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, proof of that is your submission to authority in your life. Thus, the inverse is true as well. If you are not submissive to the authorities that God has put in your life, you cannot be filled with the Spirit. And you might remember me saying that to be filled with the Spirit is to live a life that is surrendered to Christ's Lordship and submitting to the authority of His Word. It means to yield, to let the Spirit control you so that you can obey God's Word. Thus, Spirit-filled husbands submit to Christ. Spirit-filled wives submit to their husbands, and children are to submit to their parents, and as we'll see next week, spirit-filled employees should submit to their employers. Now, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, boy, I wish I had stayed home from church today so I could watch my favorite political talk shows, because that would be better than listening to a sermon on parenting. In fact, I'd rather have a root canal right now than listen to a sermon on parenting. I don't need a parenting sermon, you might be thinking. Well, I thought about you this week, and I'm here to say, as lovingly as I can, you do need a parenting sermon. And here's why. You need this message if you are currently a child living under your parents' roof, because you need to know what God expects of you and your parents. 
You need this message if you currently have children living under your roof, obviously. You also need this message if you used to be a child living under your parents' roof so that you don't idolize the way your parents raised you or repeat the mistakes they made that are not in line with God's Word. You need this message as well if you plan on having children someday so you'll know how to prepare for such a life-changing experience and be able to honor the Lord with the blessings that He's entrusted to you. Also, you need this message if you have grandchildren so that the advice you give to your adult kids is from God's Word instead of your own personal opinions about parenting. And if you've grown up as a child and left the home and left the nest, excuse me, if your children have grown up and left the nest and you're an empty nester, you need to know this message so that you can apologize to them for any mistakes that you made while they were living under your roof. You also need this message if you watch TV shows or movies that have families in them so that you can discern the difference between the world's way of doing family and God's way. Did I leave anybody out? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? So let's look at the text together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I hope you have your Bibles open and your pens ready to take notes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are two main points that the apostle makes here in these four verses. The first point applies to children, the second to parents. Here's number one on your outline, and that is that the Lord expects children to submit to their parents. The Lord expects children to submit to their parents. Now, before I go any further, I think it would be helpful if I give you some really essential or critical historical background about the culture that Paul was speaking to when he wrote this letter. The renowned 20th century Bible commentator William Barclay explains this best when he wrote this. Under Roman law, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands because the law was in his hands. He could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life so long as the father lived. And thus, a Roman son never came of age. Barclay goes on to explain that Roman fathers also had the authority to reject a child on the day of their birth. When a new baby was born, it was placed before the father. And if he knelt down and he lifted up the child, the child was accepted into the family and raised as his own. However, if the father 
turned away, say if there was a birth defect or say it was not the gender that the father wanted, if the father turned away, the child was rejected and literally discarded. Children who had been rejected by their fathers were either left outside to die, picked up by those who trafficked children, raised as slaves, or sold to brothels. As you can see, it could be argued that nothing else in world history has done more to develop and elevate and protect children than the Christian faith. And as you can see, what we're going to talk about in these four verses is Paul elevating children and calling upon parents to treat them better than they were being treated in the culture at the time. And so the apostle begins by answering the question, how are children to submit to their parents? Well, here's letter A on your outline. The first point he says is by obeying their parents. By obeying their parents. Children, obey your parents, writes the apostle. Obey comes from a Greek word, which means to listen attentively with the intent to do as you're told. The word was often used to describe the duty of a household servant or uh, giving instructions to a household servant in those days where the, the servant was, it was understood that they were to come to their master, listen to the instructions they were given, and then go execute those instructions. The Lord expects children to come under their parents' authority and he expects parents to use their God-given authority to enforce obedience when necessary. Notice, if you look at the text again in verse 1, there's another phrase right after obey your parents that's very important. Obey your parents in the Lord. This means that when children obey their parents, they are at the same time obeying and honoring the Lord. And this is because parents, the parents they have, are the parents that God gave them. We can see this in other places in Scripture. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, regarding wives submitting to their husbands, God is a God of order. He wants order in the home. Because chaos in the home is bad. Bad for everybody in the home. It's bad for culture and for the society and for the church. On the other hand, Children rebelling against their parents is described by Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, as a sign of God's absence and the beginning of end times. There once was a mother who was tired of the constant disorder in her boy's bedroom. And so she decided to lay down the law on her sons. She told them for every item that she had to pick up off the floor, the boys would have to pay her a quarter. And at the end of the week, she would tally up the charges for them. Well, she did so, and at the end of the week, the boys owed her $5. So they paid their mom promptly, and they even gave her a $1 tip with a note that said, Thanks, Mom. Keep up the good work. 
Obviously, children are born not knowing how to obey their parents, and some will even pay not to obey. But Paul continues in, to build his argument on why children should obey their parents, and he says, for this is right. And he's saying a lot more than what sometimes we like to say, well, it's just the right thing to do, just the right thing to do. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He actually, when he uses this phrase for this is right, it literally reads, it's well-pleasing, meaning it's pleasing to God. Children should obey their parents because it pleases God. And for children to obey their parents is to obey God, so long as the parent does not ask the child to sin. And to disobey their parents is to disobey God or to sin against God. This is one of the reasons why Maya and I have taught our children from a young age that if they disobeyed us, they not only needed to ask for our forgiveness, but the Lord's as well. And so from a young age, we would get on our knees with them and pray with them and ask, help them learn how to ask Jesus to forgive them for not obeying mom and dad. And the seriousness with which God took obedience to parents or disobedience to parents can be seen in the law books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You might remember it's in uh, those books where the Lord had Moses record what would be uh, the standard of living and operating for the people of Israel. Well, in the books of uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, children who cursed their parents or refused to obey their parents were to be put to death, taken down to the city gate and stoned. That is the permission that God gave Hebrew parents. And I think it reveals God's heart for the home and how seriously God takes sin in the home. So how else? Do they submit to their parents? Well, letter B, by respecting their parents. They are to obey and they are to respect their parents. Yes, you can do one without the other. And inspired by the Holy Spirit with the wisdom of God, Paul knows that. So in verse 2, we see the apostle write, Honor your father and mother. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments, obviously, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. The word honor means to respect or esteem someone who's in authority over you. Then you'll notice most Bible translations have a parenthetical that says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, there is some debate as to what the apostle meant when he wrote this phrase. Some scholars believe he was referring to the fact that this was the first commandment out of the ten that rabbis would teach young children in Jewish synagogues. And that this first commandment that was taught to children happened to come with a specific promise. Regardless, though, what's more important is the promise itself. He says in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land the NIV translates this, that you may enjoy long life on earth. 
The assumption here is that the child who obeys and respects his parents will generally lead a self-disciplined life. Whereas the rebellious child will tend to live an undisciplined life that leads to an early death. So, the responsibilities of children in the home, according to Paul and the Lord, obey your parents and respect them, honor your father and mother. Next, the apostle tells parents their responsibility when it comes to maintaining Christ-glorifying relationships and order in the home. Here's number two on your outline. Spirit-filled parents teach their children to fear the Lord. Spirit-filled parents teach their children to fear the Lord. Meaning, parents who have repented of their sin and have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation, who sincerely love Christ, who are surrendered to His Lordship, and thus under the control of the Holy Spirit and living according to His Word, will teach their kids to love and fear the Lord. Now, although verse 4 begins with fathers in most translations, I need to point out it can be translated as parents. The Greek word uh, oi pateres can refer to male or female parents. Uh, just like brothers refers to all believers in other parts of the New Testament. At the same time, though, I think the reason why uh, fathers is most commonly translated from the Greek into the English is because Paul is also reinforcing what he said in chapter 5, and that is that it is the father's primary responsibility to lead his home and to raise his children. He may delegate authority to his wife to aid in doing so, but the father is called by God, according to Ephesians 5, to oversee the administration of discipline and instruction to the children. So, again, Paul gets very practical. How should parents teach their children to fear the Lord? Well, letter A, with loving, fair discipline. With loving, fair discipline. He writes in verse 4, Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. The NIV renders this, do not exasperate. The word in the Greek text for provoke or exasperate means literally to make or provoke to anger. It carries with it the sense of irritating or agitating someone. In this context, it means to avoid embittering your children with unfair, harsh discipline. The Lord has given all of us, including children, an internal sense of justice. Right? We, we, when we watch TV and we watch the news and we see what we perceive to be injustice, it, it causes something to boil up in, inside of us to go, you know, that's not right. Somebody needs to do something about that. Well, in a similar sense, most of the time, and I'm saying most, not all, on purpose... Most of the time, 
Children know when they've done something wrong. And they know they deserve a consequence. Whether they will admit it or not is up for debate. Or it may depend on the day of the week. And children usually know when they're being unfairly punished. Not always, but usually. However, a point of clarification, we need to avoid a ditch on the other side of the road here with this phrase, do not provoke your children to anger, and that is, Paul does not mean, he does not mean parents should never avoid upsetting their children. Imagine living 18 years like that, trying your best to never, ever upset your child. I know some of you are saying, that would be hell. Now, doing so, actually, people-pleasing our kids would make parents guilty of not fulfilling their responsibility that God has given them. And so, because it is easy to, I think, end up in one ditch or the other ditch when it comes to not provoking your children to anger and how to lovingly, fairly discipline them. Uh, here's just a few quick bits of pastoral counsel on how to avoid embittering your children. Uh, and I'm going to run through these real quick for the sake of time. Uh, first, don't embarrass them in public. The most common way that parents do this is by harshly disciplining their child in public. You maybe have seen this in restaurants or grocery stores, and maybe you were like me when before mine I had kids and I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, what a horrible parent. They shouldn't be doing that in public. And then, and then we had kids, and our kids acted up in public, and I found myself going, how do I take care of this problem without disciplining them in public? <laughs> now I understand the challenge. But embarrassing them publicly not only makes the other adults in the room uncomfortable, but it also scars your child. Next, teach biblical peacemaking. Teach them to admit when they are wrong to the person that they hurt, to apologize, and to ask for forgiveness. This is especially, especially helpful in preventing sibling rivalry. Uh, sibling rivalry is not pleasing to the Lord, and it's something that Maya and I grew up with in our own homes, and we saw in other homes as well, and we committed that we were not going to tolerate that in our home. We would not let our kids constantly fight with each other and just let them figure it out by themselves. Next, take time to listen to them. This is important because sometimes we parents get things wrong. It doesn't happen very often, maybe once every 25 years, but just kidding. I've been guilty of this uh, many times. I've been guilty of rushing to judgment, not listening to my kids, trying to give me the facts, only to end up apologizing after my poor judgment. Which brings me to the next point. Admit when you are wrong. Although difficult to do, it's quite necessary because parents can be wrong every few years. This is probably why the 17th century British poet Lord Rochester satirically wrote this, 
Before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now that I am married and I have six children, I have no theories. <laughs> you see, many of the parents and grandparents that are here today or listening online, we were raised in a time when parents admitting that they were wrong was seemingly a sign of weakness. But according to God's word, it's a sign of humility. And admitting that you're wrong will endear your kids to you and make it easier for them to extend grace to you when you do blow it. And we all blow it from time to time. Uh, finally, last bit of pastoral counsel on how to avoid embittering your kids. Set clear expectations. Set clear expectations. Just as the Lord did with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, we need to say, if you do X, you'll get to have these privileges. And if you don't do X, here's the consequences you're going to get. And if you do have to give a consequence, be sure to explain why, so that the child can make a connection between the consequence and what they did that earned them the consequence. It sounds very simple and logical, kind of like a, well, duh, but you'd be surprised at how few parents actually do that. And what it does is it prevents a child from being punished for something they didn't even know was wrong. That they didn't even know that you had an expectation that they do something or not do something. And so, do your best to set clear expectations. Well, let's look back at the text again. In verse 4, Paul says, bring them up in the discipline. The Greek word the apostle uses here for discipline refers to a type of corrective or instructive discipline. He's talking about a discipline that's intended to nurture the spiritual growth of the child. Children need to be shaped by discipline in order to rein in the sin nature that they were born with, which, by the way, parents and grandparents, they inherited from you. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about our sin nature. He said it best when he compared our sin nature to an ill-tempered horse that is apt to run away. Just reminds me and makes me think that like untrained horses, our children need their sin nature broken and bridled so they can reach their full potential. So how else should parents teach their children to fear the Lord? Well, letter B, with regular biblical teaching. With regular biblical teaching. Paul continues in verse 4 that parents are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teaching. The word for instruction overlaps a little bit with the previous word for discipline. Excuse me, my mic is rubbing against my face. But the, uh, the, the word for instruction that's used in verse 4 overlaps a little bit with the previous word for discipline when it comes to intent. The word for instruction that you see there in your Bible can mean both admonishing and exhorting, or correcting and encouraging. It's both. And doing so for the purpose of training. So, so we could read it as, bring them up in the discipline and exhortation or admonishment of the Lord. 
for the purpose of training them. The point here is that parental discipline should be combined with regular teaching from the scriptures. And this can be done in many ways, such as showing your child the relevant scripture that they're being disciplined for. So, for example, if your child is lying and you caught them lying, you're going to give them a consequence from that, it'd be good to have them go get their Bible and open it up to a scripture passage that talks about lying. So then you can show them, you know, it's not... Just dad that disapproves of lying, the Lord disapproves of it. Or a proverb on lying that talks about the consequences that come from lying. Liars and deceivers live very poor lives. Another way it can be done is by teaching them biblical principles in order to preempt disobedience. So you can have a conversation at the dinner table over one verse on lying just to remind your kids of why they should always tell the truth. And another way you can do it is by teaching them how to study God's Word on their own. Mine, I did this early on. We would do devotions at bedtime with our kids, but as they gradually got older and they became uh, preteens and teens, we started teaching them how to do it on their own and telling them, now go do your devotions. Because they were old enough to where they didn't need us to sit next to them to do it. Finally, We're told this discipline and instruction is supposed to be of the Lord. Verse 4. I think this can mean a couple of things. First, it can mean parents should teach their children the ways of the Lord from His Word. Secondly, it can mean parents should discipline and instruct their children the way the Lord disciplines and instructs us as adult believers. And he does. Uh, Just a a cross-reference for you, if you want to see a little more about that, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 12. The author of Hebrews describes why and how God disciplines his children. Regardless, either interpretation, I think, is fine. To bring them up, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what do we do now with this? We've read these four verses. We've talked about the role of children, the role of parents, and how that relationship is supposed to work in the home. What applications can we glean from this? Well, I have uh, one for parents, one for parents and grandparents, and one for children. Here we go. I was going to see if I could fix the mic problem. Okay, here's the first application. 1A for parents, create and implement a discipleship plan Excuse me, for your children. Create and implement a discipleship plan for your children. Your child's greatest need, their greatest need is not awesome Christmas presents. Their greatest need is and always has been to be reconciled with God through a genuine fruit-bearing relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else comes after that. Everything else comes after that in terms of importance. Therefore, your family discipleship plan should include things like family or personal devotions at home. There are various ways to go about doing this. Prohibiting media the Lord would not approve of. Rated, like rated R movies, 
excessive violence, sexually explicit content, music that contradicts what God's word says about life and relationships. Your plan should include time limits on smartphone usage. I know you thought there was no such thing possible. Sorry, I don't know why. I don't know what to do with the microphone, why it keeps doing that. Uh, time limits on computer games, TV watching, etc. cetera. Uh, your plan should include conversations that apply scriptural truth to life, teaching your child how to think biblically about school drama, chores, relationships, modesty, and purity. Your plan should include regular worship. For example, if you allow sports to replace going to church on Sunday morning, you are communicating to your child that sports are more important than the Lord. It doesn't matter how you tell them or what you tell them otherwise. They will always remember what you do more than what you say. And if you do sports Sunday morning instead of church, they'll remember, well, sports is more important. All right, here's 1B. Parents and grandparents, walk with the Lord. Thanks for being patient with the microphone problems. Sorry about that. The Christian faith should always be taught in the home, but it's more likely to be caught if the people teaching it are living it out. In a recent Huffington Post article titled The Number One Reason Teens Keep the Faith as Young Adults, author David Briggs cites an extensive study that was done on the influence parents have on the faith of their children. And what was found is that 82% of children raised by spiritually active parents were also spiritually active as young adults. Meaning that when those kids went off to college or went off and started their own life, they didn't abandon the faith. They continued to walk with the Lord, or they found a church on their own. Researchers discovered that parents who talked about their faith at home demonstrated the importance of their beliefs and were active in their congregations frequently. They had children who did the same after leaving home. This is probably why Dr. Howard Hendricks, one of my favorite professors at Dallas Seminary, would often say, you cannot impart what you do not possess. Now, just to clarify, your kids and grandkids don't need perfection from you. What they need is authenticity and consistency. Application number two for children. Children, trust God to work for your good through your parents. God is sovereign, and he cares so much about your life that Jesus said, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Kids, please be aware that your sin nature that you inherited from your parents is going to make you prone to find ways out of respecting authority. You see, everybody's sin nature, including mom and dad's, likes to criticize the authority they are under in order to justify not submitting to the authority. 
Adults do it, and kids will do it too. And what I mean by this, kids, is that you will be tempted to dwell upon the weaknesses and faults of your parents so you can complain to your friends about how terrible they are and why you shouldn't have to do what they say. So be careful. The Lord hears... The Lord hears what you say about your parents behind their back. The Lord is not pleased when you complain about them and criticize them behind their back. Even if you were allowed to replace your parents with one or two new ones, do you know what would happen, kids? You would eventually find problems with your new parents. And for what it's worth... There are days when mom and dad wish they could trade you in as well. (laughs) Thankfully, most parents threw away their receipt for you when they held you for the first time. Well, several years ago, Maya and I received in the mail what is probably the best Christmas letter we've ever seen, one of the funniest parenting stories we've ever heard. It came from an old high school friend of Mine and his wife, Julie, who also happens to be a very good writer. As she recounted the events of the year and their family on the nicely ornate Christmas stationery, she included the following story about their potty training son. Julie writes, Yesterday, Isaac failed to alert me when he needed to use the restroom and had an accident. While cleaning that up, I discovered that he had decided to walk around with... Um, gross stuff in his drawers for quite some time without telling me. Needless to say, I was not pleased and let it be known on no uncertain terms that I was not happy at all about the situation. After trying to calm me with his typical I'm sorry and his standby I love you and I like you with very little success, Isaac decided it was best to get out of my way while I took care of cleanup in the bathroom. After a few moments, I realized what he was doing. There he stood outside the bathroom in a too small pajama top and his underwear praying, Dear God, please help me. I pooped in my underwear and Mama is really mad. (laughs) Please help me. Okay. I will. Thanks, God. The end. Isaac imitated God's voice, answering his prayer. When I thought about that story this week, I was reminded that raising children and being raised as a child was never meant to be easy. However, little Isaac knew something we all need to be reminded of today. And that is, if we are willing to ask the Lord for help, he will always reply with, okay, I will. The Christian home is to be a factory that produces and builds future disciples. Would you join me as we close in prayer? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.com. Have a great week, and we hope 
We'll see you soon. <laughs>